Hey, thank you for listening to the Garverar Show. Each episode, we provide quality sports discussions from a diverse group of perspectives. Tune in every week to hear us talking about your favorite topics. Hello everyone, my name is Yori and I will be your co-host for the Garverora Show. Today we're going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, some NFC is drama, and we're also giving out our weekly awards, including this week's award to Jackass of the Week. But before we do any of that, let's start with some birds talk. The Eagles had an easy time down at Lincoln Financial last Sunday against the New York Jets. Carson Wentz threw for 189 yards and a touchdown, while Jordan Howard rushed for 62 yards and a touchdown. The defense had a record-setting 10 total sacks, while also holding Le'Veon Bell to just 43 yards. Now on the Jets' side, Luke Falk threw for 120 yards and two interceptions, one of which was a pick-six returned by Nate Gary. The Eagles won 31-6. Now, Garv, what are the biggest takeaways from Sunday's game? Well, my biggest takeaway is the Philadelphia Eagles beat a very bad football team in the New York Jets. And now that's not to take away anything from them, but let's just talk about some of the things that we know. All right. Luke Falk is not an NFL quarterback. We know that. We also know that besides Le'Veon Bell, that they have Robbie Anderson and they have Demarius Thomas who can't even catch a ball anymore. So... This is what I'm going to say. Let's start with the positives. Defensively, as you said, the Eagles balled out. They had 10 sacks against the New York Jets. That's the most in 28 years for this franchise. And that's after an all-time worst in this league starting the first four weeks of the season. Offensively, the offense only scored 17 points. They gained 265 yards, and they were 5 for 13 on third downs. Now, Yori, we know that the Philadelphia Eagles are a good team. Well, at least we think they are, right? But good teams can get away with this against bad teams. You know what they can't get away with? They can't get away with this against good teams! You have the Dallas Cowboys in this division who just lost to the Packers. And by the way, we will will touch on that. But the one thing is, is that the Dallas Cowboys, they're still a good football team. They're going to fight for this NFC East. You got other teams in this NFC that, honestly, it's a coin flip. Anybody can come out of this conference, and you're not going to win these conference games if you play like you played on Sunday. I'm sorry, you're not. Defensively, you did everything you had to do. Brandon Graham, three sacks. Orlando Skandrick, he forced two fumbles on Luke Falk and then returned one for a touchdown. I mean, big performances here. But offensively, they need to get it going. I mean, they were 0-2 on fourth downs. I mean, I get it's the Jets, but... You know, something has to give, and I think that until I see the Eagles play four full quarters of football where offense and defense and special teams are clicking, I'm not going to feel fully confident. I know there are full four quarters in the football game. I get it, but the Eagles' offense could do better. The Eagles' defense did tremendous credit, Jim Schwartz, but it was like a high school football team, if you think about it. I mean, I agree, and something else you didn't mention is Deshaun Jackson's impact on on the Eagles offense uh, this is 
Carson Wentz's fourth straight game where his completion percentage has been below 60%. And these past two games, we've seen the Eagles gain less than 200 yards on offense. And we've talked about giving Jordan Howard and, and Miles Sanders more touches, but, but this is a passing league. And what impact does a player like Deshaun Jackson have on the Eagles offense, even though he's, what, 32 years old? Well, the impact Deshaun Jackson has on the Eagles' offense is just simply incredible. I mean, this guy, he's considered a one-trick pony, but he does that trick very well. When Deshaun Jackson is on the field, it's important to know that defenses can't just bring up one man and say, hey, we're good with that. No, there has to be somebody else taking account for Deshaun Jackson being on the field. And that's why always you see protection up top to take away that deep threat that Deshaun Jackson is. But people don't realize that that opens a game vertically for Alshon, for Ertz, for all these weapons, Miles Sanders, and then take it to the running game. You have a versatile group of running backs and Jordan Howard, Miles Sanders, um, you have Corey Clement, who's been battling injuries, but he's still pretty good when we need him to be. And yes, and fumbles. And, you know, when you combine all of these elements, the Eagles have weapons, but it often takes that one distractor, which is Deshaun Jackson. It's been him his whole career, where he's that one-trick pony, sure, but, man, defenses are so aware of that one trick. Defensive coordinators can't afford to all-out blitz. I mean, Deshaun Jackson has 31 touchdowns of 50 yards or longer in his NFL career. And you know what that's only behind? That's only behind Jerry Rice. So Deshaun Jackson, of course, is a versatile player who went on the field, as we saw against Washington. He can take advantage of these matchups and he got two 50 plus yard touchdowns there and Washington couldn't do anything about it when he was hot so Deshaun Jackson makes of course a huge impact and if we take it back I mean the Eagles haven't really passed the ball you know more than 15 yards in these past two games I mean the number against the Jets only two pass attempts beyond 15 yards and against the Packers, only three attempts beyond 15 yards. So this team is not going to get away with that against other good teams. I mean, that's just a fact. And you even see it next week. They're seeing good cornerbacks in Minnesota. And then after that, they're going to go to Dallas. You're not going to get away with that like you did against the New York Jets. So now let's go back to the 15-yard attempts, right? The Eagles lead the league in drops. I think the number is 13-plus. Does Doug Peterson and Wentz not trust their receivers anymore? Well, I think, I mean, if I was Doug Peterson, I wouldn't. And, I mean, that's not a knock to any of these guys, but look who's on the field. I mean, when you have Mac Hollins playing a lot of your snaps, you're in trouble. And one thing I said going into the season is, your two outside receivers are great. Your slot receiver, I even think, is pretty good in Nelson Aguilar. But once you get past those, and I know you're looking at me that way, and I'll explain that, and I'll justify that in a second. But once Alshon and Deshaun goes out, that's a nightmare scenario. Because all of a sudden, you have no weapons on the field, and your best receiving threat 
is virtually Miles Sanders. Because Nelson Aguilar, even though I just said he's great, I think he's great as a slot when the attention is off him. Because too many times, like in Atlanta, when he had to step up, or like in his first two years in this league, when he had to be that number one slash number two guy, he got exposed. And he can't catch the ball. And he, in my opinion, is like Miguel Franco for the Phillies. It's really bad because he is so inconsistent and you don't know when to trust him. So yeah, I wouldn't trust the receivers if Alshon's not 100% and if Deshaun's not on the field. But I am excited that they are going more run-centric now. I mean, you saw this stuff. Jordan Howard had 13 carries last game, and he had even more carries uh, previously against the Green Bay Packers. And in total, he's had four touchdowns in the past two weeks. So that's a big improvement on running the football with a guy you traded for because this guy wasn't being used the first four weeks at all. I mean, it's true. He wasn't being used, I'm sorry, the first three weeks. So when you use somebody like Jordan Howard and add him to your do-stilly mix of running backs, you have somebody who's a great first and second down back who can keep the pressure off Wentz and make it very manageable for third down if you don't pick up the first down. To me, that's a much better strategy to begin with, even though this is a passing league, than having Wentz throw on both first and second down and potentially risking a sack, and then all of a sudden it's third and 13 and a drive killer. So I think Doug Peterson is getting more smart. I think this offense is getting more smart. Um, They kept the running back and the quarterback pretty upright these past two weeks. Uh, I think Carson has had a lot of time to throw the football. Um, The one thing I would like to see from Carson, of course, no turnovers is the biggest thing, and we've seen that, and thank God for that because the turnover differential is really important in this league, and that's how you lose football games. But the other thing I want to see from Carson is, man, throw the ball away fast enough, right? Because there's too many times where Carson's sitting in the pocket or he's trying to make too much happen on his feet, and then you see it and there's nothing there and he's still trying for something and then you lose a few yards. So the one thing I want to see from Carson Wentz moving forward is being a little more quick with the football because I really do believe that elite status in the NFL comes with, and Yori, many people don't talk about this, but how quick you get rid of the ball. The great quarterbacks in this league get rid of the ball like that, all right? We've seen Aaron Rodgers do it. We've seen Tom Brady do it. We've seen Drew Brees do it. We've seen Russell Wilson do it, and he's a mobile quarterback. Wilson runs when he needs to, and that's what makes him great. It's like when Andy Reid brought back Michael Vick, Um, you know, after he went to jail and all, and he made Michael Vick a pocket passer. So I think the same thing here with Wentz. You don't have to make a play on every play. You can just sit back, see what's there, and if it's not there, throw it away. Now I want to make one last point on the Eagles team, and that's transitioning to the defense a little bit and talking about Orlando Skandrick, the newest signing. He was signed just two weeks ago, and... On his first game as an Eagle, he he recorded two sacks, two forced fumbles, one fumble recovery, and a touchdown. Now, do you believe that Orlando Skandrick can be a consistent player for the Eagles? And where does he line up on the depth chart? Can he be a starter? First off, I think the Eagles have absolutely 
not the best secondary in the world. I think the Eagles, in terms of secondary, is pretty average. One could even consider mediocre. But I do not think that Orlando Skandrick is good enough to be a starter by any means on this team. Um, I think Orlando Skandrick is going to be a good depth player, but for what he is, and Orlando Skandrick came into the Eagles saying that you know, he had something to prove to the National Football League that he wasn't done. And, of course, we saw with Sunday that he shouldn't be done. I mean, he looks really good out there. But I also think that Orlando Skandrick, just knowing the history that I know on the Dallas Cowboys, he was not the consistent player that they needed. In fact, we took advantage of that a lot, the Philadelphia Eagles. And on top of that, you know, being on the Philadelphia Eagles now, in terms of depth, he is where he should be, but he shouldn't be climbing up anywhere because I think once you start to see more and more and more of Orlando Skandrick, it's just going to give you a headache, kind of like how some people have that headache with Jalen Mills and, you know, one can go on and on about former Eagles cornerbacks. But I do have something for you that is an area of concern for me. And that's Fletcher Cox, because we're not going to talk about it and we're not going to really hear about it, you know, during this type of game where you play a pretty bad team at your home and you still have a great performance defensively. But Fletcher Cox in this game, you know, he faced a bad team and he still didn't get a sack. And that means five weeks into the football season and Fletcher Cox has yet to record one sack for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I get that this expectation of this Jim Schwartz 4-3 defense is to allow Fletcher Cox to kind of create those opportunities for himself. But something's not working here. And I'm not going to look too much into it. Like I said, this is the New York Jets, and I don't want to get too hyper here. Fletcher Cox is an X-factor on the field. But Fletcher Cox, if he's that much of an X-factor on the field, the $100 million man, he should be making these plays. I mean, there's no excuse. Five weeks into the football season and zero sacks. Now, as we said, the Eagles were last in the league in sacks until last week, until the New York Jets game. So how much we can blame Fletcher for that? Well, the whole defense, the whole defensive line wasn't really rolling, you know, until last week. So I'm not going to fault him too much, but it's something that we should look at and we should, you know, start to critic, uh, critically, you know, critique here because Fletcher Cox is being held up and nobody's talking about it. So what's going to happen when you play good offensive lines like Dallas, like Seattle? I mean, you need these guys to step up and Fletcher Cox, if anyone should step up, because I think he's just right below Aaron Donald. So let's hope that he proves it next week that, against. That is, that is bold. Uh, I, let's say he is in that top tier category and Absolutely. he needs to prove it against Minnesota because, you know, this can only last so long. And the offensive line in Minnesota isn't really helping Kirk, but, you know, take advantage of it. Absolutely. Now I have a little fun fact for you. Did you know that you cannot spell Dallas without back-to-back L's? They started 3-0 after beating the Giants, the 0-5 Redskins, and the 0-5 Dolphins, arguably the worst teams in football. And they last week they lost to the Packers, who have – dominated in AT&T stadiums. Their record is 5-0 and all time. 
Now the Cowboys defeated three opponents who are a combined 2-12 and, and have lost the teams that are combined 8-2. and two. Are the Cowboys team frauds? Yes, absolutely they're frauds. Are you asking me this question for real? All right, look, look. It's one thing to get hyper about a couple of wins, right? You start 3-0, you're feeling it. You play who's in front of you. I know that. You play who's in front of you. Garv, you can't dictate who we're going to play. It's not our fault we played bad teams, but Dak Prescott looked like the MVP, doesn't he? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what happened in the past two weeks? Because I think what happened is the Cowboys all of a sudden started feeling the pressure, right? You face two good teams and the Saints, you play the Green Bay Packers in your home field and you lose both of those games back to back. All of a sudden, we're not feeling real good here. We're not. We're not. Cowboys fans aren't feeling real good. Three and two back to back Elms. Dak Prescott's supposed to be the MVP of this league. Yeah, okay. So here's what I think, right? I think that we know who the Cowboys are. And the Cowboys, as Stephen A. Smith says, is a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> I think the Cowboys are absolutely beatable by any team. And the reason why is because Jason Garrett is their head coach and Dak Prescott is their quarterback. I mean, it's, it's the perfect scenario for the Eagles. The Giants suck. You are complaining about, you know, oh, we play the Giants, we play the Redskins. Yeah, we're hyping this up to be a Super Bowl year. You played the three worst teams in the National Football League. Let's get that clear. These three teams sucked. They might as well be in college football because right now, you know, all three of them can't even come out to show up in a game and be competitive. We just saw Daniel Jones get exposed as a rookie quarterback should be against a good Viking secondary. You're allowed to be exposed. Yes, but these teams that they played aren't legit. And then we had two teams who were halfway decent. The Saints could be the best team in the league, all right? With the depth they have, they could be the best team in the league with Drew Brees coming back. But the Saints only put up 12 points and won that game. So you tell me, Dak Prescott, MVP of the league, where was he? That 10 points is unacceptable. And then Green Bay. I mean, you start off with like, what was it? A 24-0 lead? I mean, oh my God. That's unbelievable. And at by the way, too. at home. And by the way, Aaron Rodgers said he feels very comfortable in that house as we, <laughs> you know, just saw proof this Sunday. But let's talk about something. There's a tale of two Aarons right now. And Aaron Jones is the person that they couldn't contain. I mean, Aaron Jones had 19 attempts for 107 yards. He had four touchdowns. Four. That's just one more than Dak Prescott's interception in that game. Exactly. And you know the one thing that the Dallas Cowboys did not show us on Sunday? That their defense did not come out to ball out. Their defense didn't even show up. They might as well not even have showed up to the stadium. I mean, why were they on the bus? 
I mean, 24 nothing to start the game, and then Cowboys fans are like, well, you know what, Garv, you know what? I'm very happy with the way our team battled back. They showed resiliency. They showed, get out of here, man! Like, oh, what? We almost had a comeback on a team that just ran the damn ball because they knew they were up 24 points. We should be celebrating. We should throw a parade. That's the only parade Dallas is going to have anywhere in the future because this is all that the Dallas Cowboys do under Jerry Jones. They lose these type of games. They act like they're all hot until they face a good team. And then expectations and reality settles in. And then we all start to remember that the Dallas Cowboys are the Dallas Cowboys. And they're always going to be a laughing stock of this league. And under Jerry Jones for the foreseeable future, with Dak Prescott, this will not change. I guarantee you that. They will be in competition for many years, but good thing Jerry Jones doesn't know how to win a championship anymore because the way he operates his football team, it's not a Super Bowl winning team this year. I'm telling you that much. It's early in the season, but the consistency is not there. And from what we've seen from a sample size, like you said, they only beat a combined three teams that had two wins. And then they face, you know, a team or a couple of teams that's above 500. And look, look what happens. Let's just leave the Cowboys behind as we should and turn our attention to the Washington Redskins, another division rival. The Eagles already beat them in week one. And this past Monday, they just fired their head coach, Jay Gruden, after an 0-5 start. Now, where does Washington stand in terms of turning things around for their organization? Is it GM-related? Is it coach-player-related, QB-related? What? How can they not suck anymore? Well, <laughs> I think they will always suck. And that's not me being... That's not me being, you know, just hard on them for no reason. But it's me being, I think, honest. Because... The owner, Daniel Snyder, has been way out of his head for the longest time. He has been very weird with his selections as general manager and as coach. And Jay Gruden, by the way, only got this job because of his last name. I mean, Gruden, since the beginning, looked disinterested. And John Gruden was in broadcasting and all, and they probably thought, you know, next best thing is second coming of Christ. But under the Redskins, he was a combined 35-49-1. And, and, you know, the only time he made the playoffs was in 2015, and that was that 9-7 and record they had in a very bad NFC East. That was a year the NFC East was the NFC least. And I would tell you what, you know, many of these faults, even though it's on the owner, it was on Jay Gruden. So I think first... Yeah, if I was the owner, I would clean house after this year and get a new general manager as well. But you need a coach that can really improve the development of Dwayne Haskins. Because Haskins, when he comes in, he's supposed to be this dynamic threat 
that the Washington team hasn't had for the longest time. And you know what? If the Redskins can get a quarterback, that's your first step in winning football and uh, winning football games. Because as we know, this is a league where it's all quarterback driven. This is a passing league. This is a league where you have to win through the air as much as you do on the ground these days. And you know, Alex Smith was fine. Uh, I mean, Case Keenum sucked. But, like, you've never had that top-tier quarterback for the longest time. They even tried to fish for it for Donovan McNabb when they traded with the Eagles. And, you know, I'll tell you what. Washington has to improve. They have to get a new you know, coach that understands their quarterback and understands the process of developing that quarterback. And they need a general manager who can finally provide that quarterback weapons. Because Deshaun Jackson stole burn the Eagles as being a Washington Redskins football player. I mean, once Deshaun was on that field, there was still that deep play capability. I would say the most important thing for the Redskins is surrounding Dwayne Haskins with weapons in the future. If he plays this year, if he plays next year, but really focus on next year and getting the players to surround him to make him great and really focus on developing this year. Start Colt McCoy, start Case Keenum. I wouldn't put Haskins in until you really feel confident about that coach-player relationship. And you weren't going to get that with Jay Gruden. I mean, 35-49-1. That's what, that's what Jay Gruden says, though. Yeah. Well, see, Jay Gruden, Jay Gruden, I'll tell you what. Jay Gruden is stupid. And Jay Gruden put – it pisses me off to even talk about this. Dwayne Haskins comes in against the Giants, right? Losing 14 to nothing. I know for a fact, Yori, I know for a fact that Jay Gruden knew that he was going to get fired, knew his job's on the line severely. He can feel the fire on his legs. He can feel it. And you know what he does? He puts in Dwayne Haskins with no weapons, no offensive line, no running back, running the damn ball. And he's like, go ahead, kid. Have lightning in a bottle. Like, you are terrible. So, I just... Look, Jay Gruden, for, for the longest time, I think he's made the Redskins mediocre. Redskins has, haven't been typically, like, horrendously bad. I mean, until this year. They've always been, you know, somewhat decent, but... You know, never a playoff team, and it all starts with that quarterback and that general manager and that coach. I mean, and I don't have confidence in the owner. I, I don't think they can turn it around. But who knows? Maybe this is the year that Daniel Snyder proves us wrong, and he actually makes good improvements to the team. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Daniel Snyder, so let's not get too happy here. Now let's jump from Washington to New York and talk about another division rival, the New York Giants. Their new rookie QB looks pretty decent. You know, they're missing their explosive running back. But overall, they look like an average team to beat. Now, for the past couple of years, in the NFC East, it has always been a rivalry between Dak and Carson. My question is, can Daniel Jones, with the return of Saquon, jump into the young QB rivalry and make NFC East one of the most exciting divisions to watch? Yeah, well, I think Daniel Jones has, you know, the great possessions that you need as a quarterback and as an elite quarterback in this league. Now, I'm not calling Daniel Jones elite now. I'm not saying he's going to be elite in the future. 
All I'm saying is he has what it takes to be a really good quarterback in this league. He gets rid of the ball fast. We talked about that. That's really important in this league and an overseen factor. But when he gets Saquon Barkley back, and let's say in this offseason, if they add a viable wide receiver, they have Golden Tate right now. Golden Tate can only do so much. Let's say they add a receiver or two. All of a sudden, this team with Evan Ingram, Saquon Barkley, maybe a better offensive line. They could be a threat in the future with these weapons. And Daniel Jones is not Eli Manning right now. Daniel Jones is performing better than Eli Manning was in the past three years. So we got to think about that. And we got to think about if the Giants actually get legit with their receiving core. They already have Evan Ingram, as we talked about. They have Saquon Barkley. If they get more weapons for that offense, this can be you know, starting to look like a real good team. And then it's just up to Daniel Jones if he can carry them. We know that defense isn't great. We know that offense isn't great right now. So I'm not saying the Giants are going to be great. But in a year or a few years, especially with the development of this rookie quarterback, this can start to be a real debate here if Daniel Jones is in that same category as some of the good quarterbacks in this league. Top 10, I would say. And that concludes our division talk. Let's move on to our favorite segment of the show. The Awards of the Week. The first award is called Thank You for Bailing Out My Fantasy Team. This award goes to Aaron Jones. This man gave me 49 points. Thank you, Aaron. I'm 3-2 and two now because of you. The second award is... It doesn't mean you're a good general manager, but <laughs> the second award for me goes to a football team, and that football team is the Colts. I mean, they came out, they went to Kansas City, and they won, and... You really can't do that against Patrick Mahomes. I know Patrick Mahomes looked a little injured during that game, but give credit to the Chiefs. That's a, I mean, give credit to the Colts. That's a really tough football team. Uh, it's very hard to win in Arrowhead Stadium. And Frank Reich, he did it, man. Frank Reich, miss him here in Philadelphia. Oh, I was wondering where I heard that name before. <laughs> <laughs> Our third award is called overrated for yet another week goes to baker mayfield shake people's hands baker come on now it's just it's just respect it's respect well one thing we know about baker mayfield is he has no respect right i mean when you anytime you flash your jock strap to anybody i think that's a sign of your <laughs> character but my second award goes to another football team. It's our fourth award right now. And that team is the Oakland Raiders, soon to be the Vegas Raiders. But how about them? They they beat the Chicago Bears. And I get the quarterback situation. Yeah, and I get the quarterback situation is iffy and all. But going into 3-2 and two in your bye week, after that whole Antonio Brown situation, you're above 500. That's a very good defense that they just beat. And, you know, give credit to John Gruden, man. Uh, they're 3-2. and two. Knock, on you, knock on wood if you're with me. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, finally, the award you all have been waiting for, the Jackets of the Week, goes to... Well, I'm going to say the Cleveland Browns because we just mentioned Baker Mayfield. And come on, three points on Monday Night Football! 
It is Monday Night Football. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, man. The Browns on Monday night look like the Cleveland Browns, and that's why the Browns don't deserve a primetime game until the Browns actually start winning their games. So the Cleveland Browns, for the hype that was before the season, right now it ain't looking good, Yori. It ain't looking good, I'm telling you. Cleveland Browns have to improve on a lot of things in order to have that winning culture that they have lacked for the longest time. Yep. So, anyway, that concludes the first episode of the Garverer Show. Thank you to Yori for being the co-host, and thank you to all of you guys for listening. We're going to have great content in the future. Great interviewers, Chris Carter and Colton Underwood, already supported and endorsed the show. So, make sure to keep listening in the future, and we're going to be here, man, to provide you all of our perspectives on what's happening in the sports world. For that, it's Garv and Yori, and we're going to sign out here. Yep, we're out.